I was at the rally in New York. I was at the protests here in Washington, D.C. And just the hatred of Jews. And, and what, what else is not often discussed in this conversation is also their hatred of Christianity. Why is that? Well, Armstrong, Christianity is rooted in Jewish history and Jewish doctrine. So we have a very close relationship with Judaism. And we subscribe to a set of moral values. Religion brings a moral value consensus, which is necessary for, for peace, for, for concord, for, for justice within a society. And those religious standards and those moral standards also are, they have a, we, we have a very specific way of thinking about how society should be organized and the best way to live in it. And that comes into conflict with individuals who would like to function outside of the, that moral framework. And we, we, we call it, you know, freedom. But even freedom, I've heard it said that the greatest threat to freedom is freedom. Is freedom. Even freedom needs boundaries. And we're thinking that freedom means doing whatever we can. So there's a close relationship between Christians and Jews. I uh, publicly and, and openly um, express my support of the state of Israel, its right to exist as a nation. Uh, I have disagreed with how uh, Israel has handled issues from time to time, whether it's the Palestinians to a degree, whether it's the Ethiopian Jews uh, who are trying to assimilate into Israel, they continue to grow as a nation, as a young nation. But I stand with them. And let me say that with the current conflict, I think that there's a higher moral value, and that is the life and dignity of every human person no matter what faith, no matter what religion. And the barbarism that we're seeing, the, the terrorism that we're seeing is unacceptable. Uh, and innocent lives have been lost. Palestinian lives, uh, Israeli lives, and we have, we have just lowered ourselves from who we are as, as human beings and the dignity that we should carry. We need to normalize diplomatic talks. And I don't know how far you want to get into this, but, you know, let me let me pause there. You know, Rabbi uh, Weinblatt, you know, it is a very nervous time for Jews all over the world, especially when Prime Minister Netanyahu issues a warning about travel and about being safe. And you see what's going on in college universities and they're having to hide and being attack. I mean, this is not happening in some third world countries. It's happening right here in an advanced nation like the United States. How have these young people on these campuses and throughout these protests become so indoctrinated? That's a $64,000 question in many respects, Armstrong. What we're seeing is just this outpouring, this outburst of, of anti-Semitism, which is so virulent. Uh, young people are describing situations where they're afraid uh, to walk on their campus wearing a Jewish star. Um, they're intimidated, they're harassed, they're brutalized, they're, they're, they're uh, attacked physically. Um, my uh, son-in-law happens to be an uh, ear, nose, and throat doctor, and somebody came to see me the other way because somebody punched this person in the face just for walking down the street in New York.
So we have reached the kind of uh, situation which we thought would never happen in the streets of America. It is very serious, this unleashing of this hatred, um, and that has come up to the, up to the, uh, uh, to the, to the surface now, which perhaps had been hidden for so long. And it's a tremendous concern to all of us. And it should be concerned, by the way, uh, to others as well. Now, I must tell you that I've had Christian friends who have reached out, I, even a few people within the Muslim community as well, um, who are, are just horrified by what they're seeing. So I think it's something that, that we as a society, as a country, we have to address. Because if the uh, Jewish community is feeling this and not feeling safe, then it's not long before the rest of our freedoms, the rest of our liberties will also be endangered as well. You know, you know I, I saw something on yesterday during the Eagles-Cowboys game. A businessman was in his suite and he had on the surface of it an American and Israeli flag. And they sent security to lead him out because he was spreading divisiveness. Now, you know, you can hang any kind of flag in the world. Right. That is, you can say it's filled with hatred, but why would a, I mean, you're talking about the National Football League. And I said to myself, have we got, is it that, that level where the National Football League, if I walked in with my American Israeli pin and my flag and I flipped it over the balcony of my suite, I'm gonna be escorted out? Yeah. What does that tell us? You know, it, if I can jump in here, um, you know, I always ask people when I speak, I say, well, you know, when Hitler said, um, we have to have this final solution, I would say, what was that? Now, surely it was ethnic in one sense, but it was also ideological. Jews and Christians are people of the book. And the book says that, that God and our faith in God is higher than, than government. It's higher than, and government and, and human beings are, are then molded by the moral structures and the moral reality of the God who created us and redeemed us. And so there comes this point where if you're a secularist and you're a statist, those people are the enemy. They're the enemy of, because you can say no. And, and people don't realize that there's a hatred, not just of Jews and Christians, but of God himself. And, and let me just tell you something, and, and I, I, I was gonna say this, the person that was kicked out of the suite is a powerful Democrat, George oh, Norcos III, Jr., a powerful Democrat. Yeah. It's not as if this were a conservative. Right. It, it was just, a Democrat oh. who was showing his allegiance and solidarity right. that American and Israel are unified. Yeah. He was let out by security. He was humiliated. He's thinking about supporting, filing a lawsuit against the NFL and the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I, I don't know. But I, I just yeah, wonder who other... saw. I just wonder who <laughs> saw that and said that. This is what crazy. Is I'm just trying to understand, <laughs> yeah. Pastor Bernard. What is offensive about that? Strong, if I may build upon what the rabbi so eloquently articulated. Uh, it, it's coming out of the character of the culture. A culture is the sum total of its its traditions, its its attitudes, its customs, its institutions, its language, and traditions are what that culture believes and passes from one generation to another. There were a very clear set of beliefs that founded this nation and continued, but in the process, those things are shifting. I'm a child of the 60s, so we were anti-establishment. We were fighting for change, and now we're all, my, most of my generation, are all within the system effecting change. So what I'm looking at, Armstrong, 
is how our beliefs are being influenced and reshaped and reevaluated in a way that our voices, our moral voices, are intentionally being marginalized within the society, which means that what we have to say is so easily dismissed. And I have to look at the educational system, Armstrong, because one of the problems with which came out of CRT, which began as a reasonable reevaluation of history through the lens of race, it was taken to the extreme. So what you have now is this idea that we judge all of human history and what's happening in society by who's the oppressed and who's the oppressor. But who decides that? So to say immediately because the Palestinians are, 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 are marginalized, oppressed people, Israel is the oppressor. And there are no rules for that, Armstrong. So it creates this kind of problem. And our young people who have rejected organized religion are trying to create a spirituality around these new ideologies. And that's problematic. Just jump in. A couple of things I want to say. First of all, it's very possible that the oppressed can be an oppressor. We saw the horror of what was done in, in, uh, on October 7th in Israel and the vicious way in which there was such sadistic acts that were performed. Babies were born and were burned and beheaded and things like that. We talk about the fact you mentioned earlier uh, about the Holocaust and many people think that the Holocaust really is the manifestation of the absence of God. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, that Hamas ideology is the manifestation of the distortion of God's message. To commit these mm -hmm. acts and to say, Allah Akbar, that God is great. I cannot imagine a God who would possibly condone these kinds of murderous actions. And so what we are seeing is um, a, 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 an absence of the Judeo-Christian beliefs and the foundation of the foundation upon which our country is founded. Um, and so we need to try and, and, and reiterate that, the alliance that's always existed between the United States and Israel with the shared values. Um, there are people who are distorting that and people who are trying to take that away from us for uh, their own pr pr particular political reasons. And the good pastor yeah, is 100% right when he talks about the, uh, the, the threat from the different uh, critical race theory and other uh, things that are happening in society right now. Yeah, and, and Rabbi and, and Armstrong, you know that unfortunately people are using short history. Right. I was uh, awarded a humanitarian award by, by award this past, uh, last week uh, by the New York Board of Rabbis and addressing a predominantly Jewish audience. I asked the question, I said, someone help me understand why it's wrong for a people who have suffered living under the threat of genocide from for over 2,500 years, close to 3,000 years, who have been uh, evicted and relocated and dislocated from every land. What is wrong with them wanting their own homeland where they can live out their faith and their way of life and their unique identity without the threat of genocide? You tell me what's wrong with that. Thank, thank you for raising that voice. That's... Don't, don't want to recognize that because they don't know the history. Their history goes back where the, the, the colonialism uh, uh, and the decolonization of, of, of Europe and, and the Middle East. Yeah. Uh, you know, they don't know the history, Armstrong.
Well, and, and if I can jump in too, the, the narrative, this is what we were talking about before the program started. There's a morality that comes out of a narrative view of life, and then there's a morality that comes out of a biblical, uh, objective truth view of life. And those are rat, you can already see people justifying these horrific acts like October 7th because they have a narrative that says they have the right to do that. Right. And you're saying, no, they don't. There's, a more, there's something deeper than your narrative that is holding you accountable to this. Well, they reject that. And we're dealing with people now who, it's my narrative, your narrative, and our narrative, and then you're going to see what kind of amorality or immorality can ensue. You know, it is without any doubt that morality holds us all together. It gives us the sense of understanding when something is right or when something is wrong. And, you know, I, I think what was most disappointing um, in covering these protests is that there was not one sign. And remember, there probably was a half million people here over the weekend on Saturday, I will tell you that. There was not one sign condemning Hamas. And even when I raised the question, uh, because I'm not here to take sides with Israel or Hamas, it's the truth, okay, is what I embrace in the facts. And when I engage young people, let me tell you something, and these young people are fluent. They're not poor. And some of these, and some of these young people are Jewish. Right. Oh, let me tell you, they're not just <laughs> people just, from Palestine. Right, right. They're Jewish. Right. And then come from very affluent families. I mean, and yet when you ask them in their intelligence why no empathy for what happened to Israel and the Jews on October 7th and the people that died. Well, the U.S. government gives them billions of dollars and support that military. I said, but the government also gives billions of dollars to the Palestinians. Yeah, it's different than how they spend their money. I said, well, how do you think all those rockets are fly flying out of Hamas? What do you think that money... But they don't, want to, they don't even want to even think about the possibility. If I may. Yes. Within the last number of years, there have been billions, 500 billion, between 50 to 500 billion dollars that have been given to Hamas within the last, depending upon how many years you're looking at. Um, and most of that aid has gone into the coffers of individual uh, leaders of Hamas. And also, instead of building schools, instead of building a society and an infrastructure, they chose it to build underground tunnels and to use it to be able to have weapons. In fact, there, are, it, there was an Israeli uh, uh, individual who lived not far from the Gaza border who was doing doing research in terms of helping to bring water to Gaza and bringing them with pipes. They took the pipes, they cut up the pipes to use them for rockets, and this man who, in fact, had given land to the Palestinians to be able to help them was murdered on October 7th. So one of the things that people don't realize is what is it that Israel is up against? You know, there was a, recently there was a, someone who went around on campus and, and asked, would you support uh, Hamas? People said yes. Well, would you support an organization uh, that does not believe in women's rights? No, I wouldn't support that. Would you support an organization that has no tolerance for people who are gay? I wouldn't support that. And so they said, well, then you can't really be supportive of Hamas. So I think there's ignorance. And I want to share with you an important statement that uh, Golda Meir had once said, uh, the late Prime Minister of Israel. She said there will come a time when we will have peace with the Arabs. And she was speaking in the 1970s. She says, and when that happens, we will forgive them for having killed our sons, but we will never be able to forgive them for making our sons have to kill theirs. Life is so important in Judaism. And we see in terms of the cautious ways in which Israel 
tries to execute the um, uh, operation that it's doing by warning people in advance. Hamas doesn't let them leave by trying to tell people what it's going to bomb in advance so that they are able then to protect and trying to save lives as best as they possibly well, can. Well, but they, they leave, that. When they leave, where do they go? Well, there are areas that they can, can go to in the south, but Hamas has permitted... But, but, but they've lost so much. Of course. They've lost so much. Because, uh, But at the end of the day, it's Hamas's responsibility. Hamas launched the attack. Hamas has kept the people there. They've kept them impoverished, and they haven't let them but, to But leave. there's also people within Palestine that works with the Israelis' intelligence to give them information. This is part of success. People forget about that. They don't like this way of life, and they also... When they were trying to leave, Hamas was telling them not to leave, and for those that were leaving, they were being gunned down. But right. what about in these refugee camps, refugee camps where a, a rocket just out of nowhere just blows them up? What about them? They're trying to escape the sure. same chokehold that the Jews and Israelis are trying to destroy. And, and that's why Israel's trying to liberate Gaza from Hamas. When that happens, I think we'll be able to see a very different reality on the ground. When that happens, that's when we'll be able to have some kind of a reconciliation and peace and things like that. But as long as Hamas controls, which is a totalitarian government, controls the area there, there's no possibility. They have specifically said, by the way, that they, given the opportunity, they will commit another October 7th and that this would just be nothing. It would just be a prelude. They've made it their their, their uh, a charter makes it very clear that their intent is to kill all of the Jews, all of the Israelis, to take over the entire land. And by the way, Christians are next. But, but they're, also, they're also willing to kill Palestinians. Absolutely. They have no need for them. They're just human shields for them. They don't care about them either. While they may carry the posters and the signs, they must fake people to make people believe that they care about the people in Palestine. But Pastor, they don't. Right, and let's not forget about those who are being uh, held. Pastor, I'm not hearing you for some reason. Kidnapped against I, their will. I, I don't know why you're not okay, hearing Okay, go ahead, me, yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, yeah, I was just gonna say that not only ignorance of history, but ignorance of the dynamics amongst the Palestinians. The Palestinians are not monolithic. That's right. They have been influenced by several ideologies with regard to how to structure their society. You have Fatah, you have, you have Hamas, you have Islamic Jihad, you have the, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, you, you have the Democratic Front for the Liberation of Palestine, the Palestinian People's Party, you have the Palestinian National Initiative. Well, Hamas has gained the most influence because of their tactics. Do you know Armstrong in the Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 6, where everything has gone wrong, there's an interesting passage that says, and violence-filled the earth right. and the imaginations of men's heart were evil continually. Mm -hmm. The word violence in Hebrew, and Rabbi knows this, is Hamas. Hamas. That's not coincidental. Mm. You've got to understand that, and, and the language is important. This is not an Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it's an Israeli-Hamas conflict. And even more than that, it's Hamas against the Western world, I would say. And see, that's where I think we have to challenge ourselves, too. When you see our best universities producing uh, students who cannot differentiate like we're differentiating here, I, I mm -hmm. think there's a deeper, because I think Catholic churches have been tagged uh, lately for their views. There's a pastor in Finland now who's on trial for his views of marriage, which is just biblical views of marriage. You know, all of these kinds of things. I always ask the question, can you be moral without believing in God? And everyone's basically saying, yes, and we're going to show you how. Well, this is the end of that.
When, when you actually say God is dead, which is what Nietzsche said in the 60s, and everyone's put it on Time magazine, well, this is what happens 50 years later. When people are amoral and their, their narrative is all that they uh, just, need to justify themselves, well, they can do almost anything, which is what they were doing in Genesis Well, here's 6. what I think. I, I think you were going somewhere with the universities, and I think this is what's often lost with the universities and in this discussion. You know, you can have ambition and you can have goal, but I think what we don't focus on enough is incentive. Okay, I like that. What incentivizes the universities to keep these students? Mm. And there is no way for people with common sense like us, they already know where these kids are, what they believe. They've heard this through articles they've written and things that have been said. What incentivizes them? And oftentimes, that's money mm -hmm. and power. Sure. So you need to ask yourself, where is the money? People like to say, oh, the Jews support all these institutions. All oh, the Jews are the greatest philanthropists. But listen, the Arabs are also. They're just as rich as the Jews. Nobody focuses on that. They like to focus on the Jews and have all the money. But that is a fallacy in and of itself. Mm -hmm. What is the incentive, Pastor, for this to continue, for someone that says, oh, well, we're not going to expel them. We believe in freedom of speech. Yes, until it comes at a price for you in your home, and all of a sudden, you decide, I've got to take a stand. Remember what they said. They came for the Jews, we said nothing. Mm -hmm. They came for the Catholics, they came for the gays. It's not until they come for you that what incentivizes you changes. Right. Yeah, I, Armstrong, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, I, I, too many Americans watch the news and they're so removed from what they're seeing on television, they I, I falsely believe that it could never happen to them. And then when it does happen, all of a sudden it becomes an issue that warrants their time, their attention, their money. But universities are, are struggling, Armstrong. Christian mm -hmm. universities are struggling mm -hmm. because the issue of sexual identity, uh, same-sex marriage, and all of these other things that are coming into play is really challenging Christian universities to determine how Christian they are. And what does that mean? What values do they subscribe to? And they're wanting to be open and, 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 and welcoming but they really are doing a bad job, like the church has done over the years, a bad job of navigating this tension between maintaining our religious convictions and distinction from the prescriptions of the culture. It's not easy, but they're wrestling through that right now. And it's usually the threat of losing financial support that forces them to choose a side. And that is a fact. That's what incentivizes them. There are churches that would teach the Word of God, but all of a sudden, the big donors would say, well, I don't like that message. And if you don't change, you cannot say that homosexuality is a sin. You cannot preach against transgenderism in the pulpit, else I'm going to pull away my millions of dollars. So that's what incentivizes them. They not only adjust their message, but to eventually totally capitulate. So mm -hmm. what we're seeing is the, uh, uh, t the, the, the shock 
first of what happened on October 7th, and then this outpouring of the uh, venomous anti-Semitism on campuses and elsewhere. And so I'm ha ha proud of many members of the Jewish community who have been large donors to many of these universities. And like you said, there's a problem because the Arabs can step right in with their money, but who have said, wait a minute, you know what? We have supported this institution for so long. We graduated from this institution, and now this is what's happening in terms of our own kids are feeling intimidated. They, they aren't even feeling safe on campus. We're going to be holding back some of our money. And so I think that that's one of the major problems that we have right now is this distortion. There are professors in college campuses uh, in, in California who gave students credit if they would go to a anti-Israel pro-Hamas rally. There are professors who refuse to let their, uh, their students study in Israel. And so they are taking the, the, these issues and these stands which are just so uh, uh, offensive and uh, so narrow-minded. You know, there is a choice that people have to make. Um, the, earlier this summer, I was in the UAE and Bahrain as a guest of the government there with a group of rabbis, and we saw there are those within the Muslim world, there are those within the Arab world who want to look forward to the f future, who are willing to build bridges of tolerance and of understanding, and then there's those who want to take us back to the Middle Ages, such as Hamas, and it's a real battle for the soul of people. And getting back to what you said earlier, Armstrong, I just, for the life of me, cannot understand how intelligent. Uh, good thinking, good people would possibly want to take up that banner and that cause. Well, I, I mean, let me say this before we go to break. I want to I want to address that because I I like the honesty of this discussion. You know, we talk about the young people and on college campuses, but if you talk to many adults, adults, mm -hmm. and if you dig deep enough, they are just as sympathetic to Hamas and the Palestinians are the young kids, and they hide behind this cloak. Well, I'm not going to say anything. I don't speak about it. But it's not just the young people. And you find it in the professorships where this continues to go on. And it's not until you have this conflict, this war, where it brings it to full force, where everyone stake their stake in the ground. And so what you're seeing now is what is being reflected. This is how people really feel, okay? And no one wants to talk about it. I've talked to people that I've been close to for ages. And they watch me, they read what I say, and they pull me to the side and they said, well, have you ever considered this, blah, blah, blah. I said, you, you, you gotta be kidding me. You cannot justify what happened on October the 7th. They said, well, they've been doing it to the Palestinians all along, and this is how they eventually responded. These are intelligent people. This is so rooted that people don't even wanna talk about. It's easy to talk about the kids. But look at the roots where these kids come from, and you may find yourself shocked at what's going on, not only in America, but around the world. And you know what it is? It's purely unadulterated hatred of Jews. Their success, because it puts in the spotlight the failure of the leadership of the government in the Arab world, no one wants to talk about it, it's no different than what happened in the Holocaust and everywhere else throughout history. It's happening again, and that's why many Jews are scared to death because they believe it can happen again. And guess what? It can, and if we, it will, if we remain solid. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.